Hi, I'm Pastor T.K. Anderson with Entrusted Ministries. I'm happy to be your Bible teacher on this great station for today's program. We are in the middle of a fantastic series entitled Freedom, Living Above Your Circumstance. And this study is a look at Paul's prison letters. These are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to brand new Christians in the cities of Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossae. This message series is also a part of my newest book by the same name, and I'd love to send you a copy of the new book. I think it'll be a tremendous blessing to you in your walk with Christ. All you have to do is go to our website, that's entrusted.tv, entrusted.tv, and at our website, just put in a donation for any amount, and I'll make sure the team sends out a copy to you right away. Also, next year, in May of 2024, Along with my church family in Monterey, California, you're invited to join us for a trip to the Holy Land. It's going to be a fabulous time to see for yourself the land of the Bible. In fact, all the information is available for you at entrusted.tv. If you've never been to Israel, this trip I know will be a tremendous blessing to you. Well, thank you for listening today, and I really hope this message is an encouragement to you, and I'll be sure to catch up with you at the end of today's message. Thanks for listening. Okay, so let's dive into our message today. What we're going to be looking at is this idea of who can I trust in a destructive world? Who can we trust in a world that is unraveling all around us? And we're using as our text today Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Leo Tolstoy was an influential writer of the 19th century, and he authored a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot in life. And he wanted more of everything. Well, one day, this farmer received an unusual offer. For 1,000 rubles, which is about $14,000 in our day, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a single day. The catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point by sundown. So early the next morning, the farmer started out by walking at a very fast pace. And by midday, he was very tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. And well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken over him and taken him far from his starting point. So he quickened his pace. And as the sun began to sink low into the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. Well, as the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line and grasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body and he staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. Unfortunately, he immediately collapsed and in a few minutes he was gone. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long by three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's famous story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? In the end, Tolstoy suggests all a man really needs to own is a six-foot by three-foot piece of earth. And so we're better off putting our hope somewhere else. Hmm. You know, Jesus, like Tolstoy, who was a Christian, by the way, warns that we better not put our hope in a temporary or destructive or a fading world. For if we do, we will be sadly mistaken in the end. So as Paul begins to wrap up his letter to these believers in the city of Colossae, he shares with them in the passage today the importance of trusting in what Christ is doing in their life. 
You see, as the world focuses on how to gain attention or how to gain attraction or allure, God's focusing on the process of personal restoration in our life on an individual level. God is the ultimate restoration expert, isn't he? He can take a banged up, broken down, busted up individual, and he can turn them into an amazing follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to share with you four elements, four elements of God's what I call restoration strategy in your notes. We're going to find that in today's text. So let's start with the first uh, element, and that is the promise of your restoration, the promise of our restoration. We pick up here in verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You can interpret this whole passage as one big promise from God, that this is what God has done and will do. I like what 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody said about the idea of promises. He said that God has never made a promise that was too good for it to be true. So what is the promise that God's given us in this passage to followers of Christ? Let me bring it back up on the screen. God's telling us that we have been raised with Christ, we have died with Christ, we are hidden with Christ, and we will appear with Christ in glory. Now there's a lot of, again, theological things that we can discuss about here, but just to break it down really quickly and succinctly, the best way for us to understand this passage is to view it as a promise of God to help us restore our life. That's what the promise is. And that's what Paul's trying to write to these early believers because they were confused. They were discouraged. They were being misled by false teachers. You see, back when this letter was written to the original audience, these original followers of Jesus had been cast out of Jerusalem. And by the time of the writing of this letter, which was about 60 AD, Paul was in a Roman prison cell as we've been studying. And many of these Christians had been scattered into the towns of Asia Minor, what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. These were cities like Philippi and Thessalonica, uh, Corinth and Colossae. And what Paul is doing here is he is providing great encouragement to this audience because they were discouraged in their walk. And yet because we deal with some of these same doubts that they deal with, this passage can be an encouragement to you and I as well. Let me say it this way. It's easy for us to get discouraged in our walk with Jesus, isn't it? The pressures of the world can be exhausting. The culture that we live on continues to weigh on us and press on us. Our failures can often derail us on our spiritual journey. Isn't that true? And in those times, we think when we fail God, we think that God might be mad at us. We think that God is really ticked off at us. And because we wouldn't want to be around a person like us, we project that belief onto God, don't we? And I'm telling you today, don't do that. According to this passage, God's given us a promise that he doesn't stop working on you to make you into the person he wants you to be. He'll never stop. And he's reminding the Colossians in the text that we have been raised with Christ in the past. You are now hidden with Christ in the present and you will appear with Christ in the future. You see, friend, if you've put your trust in Christ, that's your promise. Hold on to that promise. Because this is important to us as we talk about this idea of walking in newness of life. This isn't something that I created. This isn't something that you invent. 
This isn't something that just I want to do. No, this whole process of walking in a new way, of putting off the old things and putting on the new things, this is God's idea, and it's backed by his promise. That's what the Bible's telling us. Okay, so now that we have the promise of restoration locked down, let's move to the second aspect of this process of restoration, and that's found in the plan for your restoration, the plan for your restoration. So in verse 5, it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it lists a bunch of activities that I'm not going to dive into all of these because there's 11 of them. It would take too long. But here's are these things that we tend to do which aren't good for us, right? Sexual immorality, impurities, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That's the judgment of God one day. And in these things, you too once walked. And you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And by the way, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Again, that's a very powerful passage of scripture. There's a lot in there. And so what we're finding, I believe, here in this second section of the passage today is that we have a reminder to plan ahead when considering how to walk out this newly restored life. I read this week that somebody once said, if, if you don't design your own life plan, chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. Hmm. If you don't design your own plan, you're going to fall into somebody else's plan. And that, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what the enemy, what the devil would want for us to do. He wants us to fall into his plan by not planning ahead. And Paul's saying we have to plan ahead. So how do we do that? Let's go back in the text. I want you to see this. You'll notice these three, phase, these, uh, three uh, phrases. Put to death, put them all away, and put off the old self. So that's part of this plan. Paul does a, a great job in verses 5 through 9, and we're going to take a look at that in, in just a second, of separating out for us what I call individual actions that harm us and others-based actions that harm other people. But I want you to see something in the middle. In the middle of this passage, you may have noticed this too, there's a hinge statement in verse 7, and here's what he writes. In these actions and activities, the ones up here and the ones down here, he says, you too once walked when you were living in them. Ah, so what does that mean? This is past tense. You once walked in these things when you were living, so you don't have to anymore. You see, that's the cool thing about becoming a Christian. You have these old things, these old habits, these old, these old attitudes and actions, they have no hold on you anymore. They have no power. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he broke the power of sin and death in that moment. Do you understand? That's what happened. And so if you're participating in these actions and activities still, it's not because you don't have the power to not do them. You're just choosing to do them. It got quiet all of a sudden, didn't it, right? But we also can choose to not do them as well. You have the power to do that. That's what we're talking about. You see, when we become Christians, the old nature doesn't just disappear. It doesn't. I wish it did. I mean, that'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? The Bible doesn't say that we're cured of our sinful tendencies when we get saved. It simply teaches that we are not under the bondage of those desires any longer. And friend, that is the big difference. That's the critical difference. What it means is it means that we can be free. What does it mean to be free? We can be free when we begin to make the right choices to put away those actions and activities that are harmful to us inside and harmful to those around us. So what are we to put away? So I've got my little silhouette guy over here. You're probably wondering who this dude is, right? 
He's, uh, that's me if I was like 6'3", I think, right? So that's good. So, but he's my little character. He's going to help us out today. This silhouette kind of could be any one of us. And again, I'm not going to go into all of these, but these are the things that the Bible says we need to put away. Immorality, passion. Now, that's not like passion for your favorite football team, okay? So, but that's passion uh, related to these categories here, right? Bad passion, right? Covetousness. We've got uh, evil desires, right? These are the things that you and I battle with. And we've got these other issues going on. We've got the issue of wrath. You know, I'm going to really pay that back to somebody. Uh, lying, right? I'm not going to tell the truth. I'm going to uh, withhold the truth. Uh, obscene talk, joking, right? We've got uh, malice. I'm going to really go after somebody with the intent to hurt them. Uh, anger, of course, that's an easy one to break, right? We all deal with these things in slander. And when I put all of these up on the board, I have to stand next to them so you can see them on the camera. And you look at this, you say, boy, that's not a person I really would want to hang around with, right? How about you? It's not the kind of person I want to hang around with, right? Um, I definitely don't want my daughters to marry a guy like this. How's that sound, right? And so, but we look at that and we say, these are the things that we were involved with before Christ came and he freed us. So what has he freed us from? He's freed us from these things. You don't have to be bound by these uh, actions and activities anymore. We now have the ability to put off these things. You know, somebody once asked me in a Bible study, we were talking about this topic, going through this very passage, and they said, well, why doesn't God just do this for us? Why doesn't he just take all those ev- these evil things and take all of it away? He, he, in other words, he takes them off. We don't have to put them off. Wouldn't that be so much easier? And, and I thought to myself, well, it would be easier, but the reason why God doesn't do that is if he put away these actions for us, then you and I technically would be stripped of our free will. Okay be stripped of our free will. So what would that mean? It would be like God forcing everybody to believe in him, forcing everybody to worship him. And God's not that kind of a God. If he did that to us, then we would be nothing more than a flesh and bone robot. And guess what? You wouldn't like that. You want to have the ability to choose to serve God. You see, part of the human experience is learning how to experience God, how we get to know him on a personal level. And you and I can't do that without free will. So the plan that Paul's teaching us regarding our personal restoration couldn't be clearer. We have a part in this story. What's our part? Our part is to put away these practices. And so we say, when we're tempted to do these things, I'm just going to choose not to do it, right? And Paul says, take these things out of your life. And when you take these things out of your life, you're going to find that it's going to be a lot easier to put other things in your life that are going to be positive for you. And these are the things that fall away as we continue to trust Christ. And we just put them all away. We don't have to be a part of this anymore. You're free from that. That's what Paul's teaching us here. Now, the good news is that beyond the plan to pull all this stuff off, because now we're back to our just regular self again, there's nothing there. Paul says, no, there's a third part, and that's called the product of our restoration. This is part three, the product of your restoration. So we pull off the old self, and then we do what? We put on the new self. The new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Put on what? What should we put on? Well, he lists eight things for us here. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. That's forbearance. Forgiving with each other as the Lord's forgiven us. And above all else, put on love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. What a great passage of scripture. There's eight things in there that Paul encourages us to put on once we've decided to put off the old things. 
And when we put on these new things, we begin to make an impact in our world, in our families and in our communities and in our workplace. The impact of Jesus can be seen in the lives of those who follow him. And their impact is the product of this restoration process. And it's important for us to remember that this isn't an automatic thing. Just like God won't automatically take those old things off of your life, God doesn't automatically put on these new things. You have the desire and the ability to do it, but you and I have to put those things on. Let's go back to verse 10 and see what I'm talking about. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of God, right? After the image of our creator. And he goes on to say, put on and then put on. So three times in this passage, Paul is telling us that we have a responsibility to put on these things. So what are these things? So I have them over here. And if you ever were in school, you know that um, red is always a bad uh, color, right? And blue is a good color. So I made these blue, okay? So we're to put on kindness. That's a good thing. Uh, my wife is really good with this one. I got to work on that one, right? Uh, meekness, that's another thing we should be putting on. That's good. How about love? That's a good one. We should put that on. Uh, compassion, that's a great one to put on. Uh, patience, that's one we all have to work on, right? I got to work on that one. Uh, the Bible says we should also put on humility. That's a good one to put on, right? And how about forbearance? That means uh, carrying somebody else's burden with them. And then, of course, the big one, we should put on forgiveness, those are some things that we should put on. And so we look at this person and what do we say? Oh, I want to hang around this guy, right? That's the kind of guy I want my daughters to marry. That's the kind of gal I want my son to marry, right? That's a great person. And, but those are the things that you and I can choose to do each and every day in our life. And the choice is up to us. You see, our problem is, is when we pick up the old things and we intersect them with the new things and it looks really, really messed up. Let me give you the illustration. So you're a Christian, you're walking around, and you're wondering why your influence for God um, isn't very strong. Well, because maybe we've been picking up some of these old things, and we got that mixed in with it. We've got that mixed in with it. We've got this mixed in with it. We got this mixed in with it, right? We've got this mixed in with it, and I got more. It's just, but then we look at this guy, and what do you think? That person looks like they're spiritually schizophrenic, right? They don't know what they want to do. <laughs> This guy's a mess. Stay away. Yeah. At least the other guy, if he's all red, he knows what he wants, right? And the guy who's all blue knows what he wants. But this guy, that's the guy that the world calls a hypocrite. Oh, it got quiet again, didn't it? Yeah, that's, nobody wants to be this guy, right? This is where we get into trouble. So what the Bible is telling us here today is put off the old stuff, put on the new stuff, but don't put them together. Give me a head nod if you got what I'm saying, right? Don't put them together. So I'm going to pull these red ones off, right? Because I don't like those, right? All right. So that's our point there. So now we move on to point number four. So we've got the plan for restoration. We've got uh, the other elements to it. And the fourth part is the purpose to restoration. And we come to this final part. And that answers the question, why does God do this at all? What's the point? Why is God working this process in us? Why doesn't he just snap his finger and make it just all happen? Well, there's a greater purpose that I want you to see today and I want you to understand. And we find it here in verse 17. The purpose of our restoration and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you were here last week, I shared this verse with you and I shared just the first half. I wanna share with you the second half today. 
Jesus said the thief, meaning Satan, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Satan wants to destroy you, yet Jesus wants to grow you. That's the difference. Some people go through their entire life never knowing that God has a design and purpose for their life. And by not getting in tune with God and not getting in tune with his frequency, they miss out on all the wonderful things that God has planned for them. That's what Paul is trying to tell these early believers, and that's what I'm trying to share with you here today. So Paul concludes this passage by emphasizing that the big reason for God's plan of restoration is that we would bring glory back to God. Let's look back at verse 17. We are to give thanks to God the Father through him, meaning Jesus. Give thanks to God through Christ. What does that mean? It means when we put off the old actions, we give thanks. When we put on these new actions, we give thanks. When God is using our life to impact other people in a positive way, we give thanks. That's what Paul's talking about here. He wrote about this to the early believers in the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he wrote this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So how do I give glory to God? I ran across a a quote from an author that I want to share with you today because our chief aim in life is to bring glory to God. But how do we do that? I like what this writer said. He wrote, to glorify God, means to make visible the majesty of God's presence. That's pretty cool. But how do I do that, right? Well, man glorifies God actively by living a life in gratitude for God. That's what Paul was talking about, right? For his redemptive work. But here's how we live it out, both in its accomplishment of being saved and yet also in its application. The key point here is that God's restoration of our life is accomplished so that we can experience abundant life. Don't miss that because Jesus just said that, right? I want you to have life to the full, but that's only one part. And I got to tell you, I run into a lot of Christians that like to tell me how abundantly blessed they are, and that's okay. But the reason God is abundantly blessing you to live the life that you're living is not just so you can enjoy it, it's so then you give glory back to him for doing it through you. Isn't that true? So what have we learned today? Here's what we've learned in summary. We've learned that there are four valuable elements regarding this grand project of individual restoration. We've learned that God is interested in us on an individual level as well as a corporate level. That means that God doesn't look at the entire world as one big blob of humanity. No, he looks at every person in a unique and special way, including you here today. We learned that God provides a promise, a plan, a product, and a purpose for our restoration. Those are our four points today. And that we are the ones who get to partner with God in this process as we give glory back to him. And finally, we discover that abundant life comes from Jesus as we keep our actions and our attitudes and our attention focused solely upon him. So my question for you today is, have you accepted Christ as your savior? Have you done that? Do you want God's forgiveness given to you through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that today, I'm going to give you the opportunity before we conclude. You can do that today. But let me wrap this up by uh, sharing a story with you that I think perfectly illustrates how Jesus came to this earth to save us from our calamities. In 1988, 16-year-old Anissa 
Ayala was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. The doctor said that if she did not receive a bone marrow transplant after chemotherapy and radiation treatment, that she would die. Neither her parents nor her brother were a match, and they could not find a donor elsewhere. Her parents, both in their 40s, conceived another child, and they hoped that the bone marrow would be compatible with Anissa's. To their great delight, it was determined that this new baby was a compatible donor. And so when Marissa Ayala was 14 months old, they took some of her marrow and gave it to Anissa. Anissa made a full recovery from leukemia, and both sisters lead healthy lives today. What a beautiful story, right? In a sense, Marissa saved her sister's life. She's quoted as saying, without me being a perfect match for my sister, she would not be here today. Wow. Friend, Jesus is our perfect match. When he died upon the cross, he took all of our sin, every single one of us here in this room today, and he placed it upon himself. And because of what he did, he gives us newness of life. He was born into this world for the express purpose of saving us. And he is the one and only savior that can save all of us who put our trust in him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to pick one thing. Just pick one thing this week, right? If it's patience, circle patience, that's what I'm going to work on this week. If it's anger, I'm going to work on that one, right? If it's evil desire, circle that one. And that's what I'm going to do. And guess what? Put off the old stuff. Put on the new stuff. In a matter of weeks, you'll be working yourself into this new person that God wants you to be. That's how it works. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. I really hope you were encouraged by God's word and that your faith was strengthened. I don't know what you're going through today, but with God's help and with all the resources of heaven behind you, I know that God is more than able to meet you right where you're at today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those listening today. I pray that your goodness and your greatness will surround them in a powerful way. I pray for your protection and your provision in their life. May your peace guard their heart and mind until the day of Jesus' return or until you call us home. Bless us today as we serve you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Andrew? You've been listening to Entrusted Ministries with Pastor T.K. Anderson of Compass Church in Monterey County, California. Entrusted Ministries is provided to you by partners just like you across the country. If you'd like to help us to continue to share the love of Jesus with the world, you can go to entrusted.tv. That's entrusted.tv to make a donation. And remember, for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Anderson's newest book, Freedom, Living Above Your Circumstance. Thank you for listening, and see you next week at this same time on this same station.